Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Doing all right? We've had the main event now, so this is just the kind of, what do you call the warm-up act after the main event? Me, is what you probably call it tonight, isn't it? So, um, picture the scene, let me get in the right place. About here, five weeks ago today, I stood in this spot, not today, five weeks ago approximately, I stood in this spot, and I stood facing the person opposite me, and I said, I... Aaron Wesley Elder, take you, Amy Louise Minnis, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold and the whole deal, and I promised that I would love her in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, and I've got the ring to prove it. A little bit of a whoop, maybe. It's only the rest of our lives, so, you know, worth a whoop, maybe. Um, which basically means that no matter how poor or bad or sick that I get, she's got to love me. And I know what you're thinking. How lucky can one girl be? I know. Unbelievable, isn't it? But the, the best part is, the best part of the whole thing is that she then stood like this and said, I, Amy Louise Minnis, take you, in her, in her own voice. Um, and she made the same promise to me. She promised that she'd love me in the same way, and we got married. And that's a pretty good deal. And so, as we turn tonight and as we continue our our series, we're in a series over the summer months called We Can Be Heroes. And we're looking in in the book of Hebrews, and we're looking at, and the reason I introduce by telling you that, is because we're thinking about the promises that God makes to his people. And the way that his people live by faith as they await the promises of God. So the book of Hebrews and the story that we've been reading over the last couple of weeks has been reciting these amazing heroes of faith, these amazing people, and what they did. So we had Abraham, and we had Noah, and we had Isaac, and we had Jacob, and we had Moses last week and the week before, thinking about how did they live by faith as they awaited the promises of God. We've asked asked questions like, how can we live by faith today? How do we stay faithful even when life is hard. And so, if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn again to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, it will be on the screen by power, by power of PowerPoint. And so we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11, from verse 32. And it says this, And what more shall I say? having just recited all these amazing heroes of faith. What more needs to be said? What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped to the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies." Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. 
They were sawn in two. That's worth a pause, isn't it? They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us. That only together with us would they be made perfect. Can we pray together? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you speak? And Jesus, would you reveal yourself to us? Help us to see you, Lord. Because when we see you, we're changed. Amen. Amen. So we read all these amazing things. We read in verse 33 that these remarkable people of faith, what will be called later on the great cloud of witnesses, all those amazing people who've gone before, they gained what was promised to them. They got stuff. They, they shut the mouths of lions. They, they quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped to the edge of the sword. It's inspiring stuff. They had these amazing adventures which saw promises fulfilled. And yet, and yet at the very end of the bit that I read in verse 39, we read that none of them received the better thing that had been promised. You can check. None of them received the better thing that had been promised. And we think, what? They gained what was promised, but they didn't gain the promise. The word promise is used six times just in chapter 11. And it's used over and over again. These are the people of God. And God loves to fulfill his promises to his people. Abraham, more than any other, has the word promise next to his name. And God promised this to Abraham. If you don't know the story of Abraham, Abraham had land promised to him and inheritance promised to him and and fame and riches and a family promised to him. And yet we read, although he gained what was promised, he didn't get the promise. He didn't get the promise. As in, there's more. But surely, you know, that ticks all our boxes. What more could you want? I, I read recently a survey of, um, taken of five to ten-year-olds. And they were asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? They asked 1,300 five to ten-year-olds, what do you want to be when you grow up? Why don't you turn to the person beside you right now and tell them, what did you want to be when you grew up? Maybe some of you right now are thinking, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So I did turn to the person next to you and tell them. Okay. So they surveyed five to ten-year-olds, 1,300 of them, in Britain. And they asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Top answer, rich. Not even like a footballer or a pop star, just rich. For nothing, nothing in particular, just rich. Second top answer, 
famous by a huge margin. Top two answers, miles ahead of any of the other answers. Miles ahead of teacher or fireman or footballer or pop star or anything else you might imagine. Top two answers. We want to be rich and we want to be famous. It's quite sad, I think. It's not even a career. It's not even a profession. It's just, just rich and famous. Not for anything in particular. Exactly. It's laughable. <laughs> and yet, these things which were promised... We, we read that there's a better promise. God delivers, delivers riches and fame, and yet there's more. There's more. What about adventures and victory, success? We think that's sufficient, surely. Well, no, there were some who had that. And still, the promise of God that was yet to be fulfilled was better. Something more. What could be better Presumably our culture, where five to ten-year-olds think there's nothing better than rich and famous, would think nothing, nothing could be better than those things. But in Jeremiah 31, again it will be on the screen, it says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Covenant just means promise. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them declares the Lord this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts I will be their God and they will be my people and then it continues later on for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more So there's these two promises, the old covenant and the new covenant. And in the old covenant, the law that you had to follow was written on tablets of stone. These these tablets of stone were given to Moses. You maybe picture the scene, him coming down the mountain, holding these tablets of stone. This is the law that we must follow to be right with God. And they had to make sacrifices. They had to pay their debts to be right with God. And sure, God led his people into freedom, into a promised land, into victory and battle. We read about it. But their their relationship with God was based on mutual terms. Give and take. You follow the law and I'll be your God. You make sacrifices and pay your debts and I'll be your God. And these were the terms of the promises under which all the heroes of the faith that we've been learning about lived under. Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, give and take. God delivered for them as they had faith. They got riches or land or freedom or success or justice or kingdoms or all the things we read about, but they didn't get what? They didn't get God himself, moment by moment, day by day. Sure, we read, don't they? They were commended for their faith, but they never got the better promise. Simply, simple message. They never got Jesus. See, these guys were around before the earthly life of Jesus. And so they lived by the old promise and not the new. The new promise has some different expectations. The new promise is based on this thing called grace. Not you obey the law and I'll be your God. 
but through Jesus, irregardless of the law, I'll be your God. It's by his forgiveness. It's by him that we gain a father in heaven who calls us his children. It's like, it's like the entirety of Hebrews 11. is saying how cool these guys were, all the amazing faith-filled things that they did. But these last two verses, they didn't get the best thing of all. The best thing is Jesus. And I, and I don't mean to kind of blow our whole summer preaching series out of the water, although that is slightly satisfying to me, to come along the very end and go, actually, it's all about Jesus. But that's what it's saying here. That is the message of the book of Hebrews. That although they did incredible things, although they lived by faith, the better thing is always Jesus. Jesus is better. We can be heroes, but Jesus is the hero. He is the fulfillment of the better promise. Take this, love this, from John Calvin. He said this, He, Jesus, is Isaac, the beloved son of the father, who was offered as a sacrifice, but nevertheless did not succumb to the power of death. He is Jacob, the watchful shepherd, who has such great care for the sheep which he guards. He is the good and compassionate brother Joseph, who in his glory was not ashamed to acknowledge his brothers, however lowly and abject their condition. He is the great sacrificer and bishop Melchizedek, who has offered an eternal sacrifice once for all. He is the sovereign lawgiver Moses, writing his law on the tables of our hearts by his spirit. He is the faithful captain and guide Joshua to lead us to the promised land. He is the victorious and noble King David, bringing by his hand all rebellious power to subjection. He is the magnificent and triumphant King Solomon, governing his kingdom in peace and prosperity. He is the strong and powerful Samson, who by his death has overwhelmed all his enemies. Amen. Jesus is better. And so if you'll allow me for a minute, I just want to brag on Jesus a little bit. Is that okay? We're in church. It's kind of the dumb thing anyway, right? Jesus. Jesus was born. Check that out. I mean, Jesus was born. Think of that for a moment. Jesus, in heaven, beside God, entered into his creation, stooped, humbled himself, became man, was born, and then lived. He lived so that he could show us God so that he could make a way, so that when people ask, what does God look like? Who is this God? We could point and go, Jesus. That's who he looks like. Jesus is God. And he entered into humanity, and he lived, and he lived the most incredible life. You can read about it. It's incredible. And then he died. He chose to take the path to the cross. And he died. And then miraculously, he rose Again, death could not contain him. No way. And he rose again on the third day. So Jesus had the most influential teachings. He demonstrated the power of God. He brought people hope. He was so humble. And then he laid down his life for his friends. He's still all those things. And I'm, I'm, you know, honestly, I'm deeply affected by Jesus. I remember when, for the first time, I, I sat and I read the Gospels, which tell the stories of the birth and the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You can read, there's four of them 
in the, in the Bible. And I remember when the first time I read them, I was absolutely captivated by this Jesus, in awe of this Jesus, amazed by this Jesus. I remember nights just kneeling and weeping on my bedroom floor, just in awe of Jesus, that, that, that God himself would enter into creation, that he would do it for me, that he would do it because he loves me, that Jesus is real and that this is true. How remarkable. When I look at Jesus, he's smiling. I don't know about you, but when I look at Jesus, he's smiling. And I, I not only stand in awe of him, but I receive the invitation to follow him. And so Jesus became my role model. Now, I want to be like Jesus in my character, in my actions. I want to live a life like Jesus. He is better. He's the promised one. I said it before that the message of the letter of Hebrews written to a Jewish community is that Jesus is better. Chapter one, Jesus is better than the angels. If you didn't know that, they tell you in the letter of Hebrews. Jesus is better than the angels. Chapter seven, he brought about a better hope. He brings hope. Chapter 8, we've talked about this. He is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. He's the best. He's the best. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So let me try and break it down. There were these amazing people in the Bible. We've read about them all the way through Hebrews 11. It's this kind of highlight reel of all these incredible people of faith. But they were around before Jesus came to earth. But at the very end of time, when Jesus returns, they'll get to meet with Jesus. They'll have eternity with Jesus. But not until then. Because that's the better promise. But we live on this side. Jesus has been. Jesus is alive today. And so we are on the other side of things. And we don't have to wait until heaven to know Jesus. That's why this is a better promise for us. That with us one day, all those amazing heroes of the faith will be united and perfect under Christ. But we get him now. That's what this promise is. We read in John chapter 17 that eternal life is this. If you want to know what eternal life is. Eternal life is this. And it says, knowing Jesus. That's what it says. If you want to have eternal life, you know what eternal life is? Knowing Jesus. Do you believe, I wonder this evening, do you believe that, that knowing Jesus is God's absolute best for you? Do you know that? That regardless of circumstance, you know, whatever's going on in your life right now, that your best is Jesus. The, the thing you must desire most, the thing above all else, is Jesus. Because, you know, if, if we pursue riches, riches will spoil, but Jesus is better. We can pursue security and comfort, and they'll satisfy for a while, but eventually I think the lever's empty because Jesus is better. And, and success and victories, wow. But, but they're fleeting and they'll fade because Jesus is better. You know, I, I know that he's better. 
When I have nothing, he's enough. When life is really hard, when life is really good, when we think we're it and when we know we're not, when we realize our weakness, he's enough. And so, this evening, I don't know everybody in the room, but, but if you're in the midst of temptations, which many of us might be, if you're in the midst of temptations, if you're facing something that you know that isn't God's best for you, but you're tempted to step into it anyway, there's one good reason not to. Jesus is better. He's better than whatever it might be. Jesus is better. There's a philosopher called Robert Nozick who did an experiment. He called it the experience machine. He was trying to disprove that we're all just hedonistic. And so he he did this experiment where he asked people, and I'm asking you tonight, imagine there's a machine, it's called the experience machine, and you can step into it and you can create for yourself a perfect life. It's like the life you live now, but it's perfect. You'd have every pleasure, every desire, every fulfillment you could ever want, but it would be a simulated virtual reality. You'd be plugged into a machine. You wouldn't know it. You'd wake up, it'd be like you're waking up tomorrow morning and you'd have the perfect life and you wouldn't know why but suddenly everything would go right for you and it would be amazing. Two choices. First choice, enter into the machine. Second choice, continue with your life as it is. Make sense? Why don't you turn to the person next to you again and tell them what you would do? Are you going to enter into the machine that promises perfection of life, all your desires, Personal fulfillment, but it's a machine, but you don't know that once you're inside it. Or do you continue living as you are right now in the real world? Why don't you ask and turn to the person next to you? See what they do. Okay, so he he asked this question, he did this experiment, I'm not going to ask you what you said, but but his, his results were pretty overwhelming. Nearly everybody he asked said that they wouldn't enter into the machine. Maybe you said you would, but nearly everybody he asked said that they wouldn't. Why? You might have your own reasons why you wouldn't. But he said that the, the overwhelming reason people gave for why they wouldn't do it is because they wanted to know that their life had some kind of meaning. Interesting, right? They wanted to have some kind of, quoting him, deeper reality. Deeper reality. So even if all their desires were met, even if they had brilliant, amazing lives, with everything they could ever want fulfilled, people still wouldn't choose it for themselves. Isn't that interesting? Because we want to exist for something better. It's almost like we're made for more. It's almost like we're made for connection at a deeper level. There's this perfect story in Luke chapter 10. I'll read it to you. It'll be on the screen again. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they're traveling somewhere, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary chose what was better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, I I know how it is. So often we have the best intentions. We think, I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to give that thing a go. I've caught a glimpse maybe, and I want to see more, but, but then we get distracted. We start looking elsewhere. And if anyone asked us, we'd still say that Jesus was, was better, but we've let life talk us out of our convictions. Maybe we've become busy with other things. Like Martha, we're busying ourselves in the kitchen. And we can maybe still see Jesus out of the corner of our eye, but he's not the one anymore. Not the main thing anymore. He doesn't have our whole attention. It's true, isn't it? We get busy and distracted from the better promise available to us. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I so often think that I can do better alone. It's ridiculous. I'm actually leading a church plant with some friends. And yet most of the time, I'm like, I got this. I can figure this out. If we just have the right idea for this, If we just get those people to come to this thing, if we just have the right strategy, if we can just work it out, then it'll happen. Then it'll happen. And I'm trying to do this apart from God. Then I remember, and then I'm struck, and then I remember that that the task before us is absolutely impossible. We're trying to persuade people who've never believed that believing in Jesus is a good idea and that they should place the whole of their lives upon this trust in Jesus. And I'm trying to do this apart from God. See, the the salvation of ox gangs is not going to come out of my brain. I need to remind myself, we all do. Jesus is better. See, it doesn't matter how many cool adventures we have, how bold our actions are, if Jesus isn't in them. Jesus said, Few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Only one. So in the midst of a series where we've been spurring one another on, we can be heroes. And, and that stuff's true. But even the exploits of the Bible heroes are overshadowed by this promise of something better. So I just want us to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Let's, let's live big, absolutely. Let's create our own stories of faith. Let's be bold and courageous, but let's not miss out on the better promise. Why would we? Why would we be so busy doing other things that we'd miss out on the better thing? The promise of Jesus is simple. We get him. He gives us himself. That's what we get. That's the better promise. That's the promise that these biblical heroes that we read about didn't get. They won't get it 
yet. Imagine, just imagine in this room, imagine if we took that seriously. Imagine if we decided that we were going to go all out for Jesus, that he was going to be the most important thing, the center of all our affection and attention. We were going to stand and live our lives captivated by him, in awe of him, marveling at his wonder. Think of what we would do together as a result of that. It's amazing. It's the kind of group of people that would change the world. How many of you, I wonder, how many of you know that your life is shaped by the people around it? Do we know that's true? Our lives are deeply shaped by the people around us. There's, 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 depending on who you're with, for example, a trip to Ikea can be an amazing experience or it can be an awful experience. You know, a, a long journey goes from being a long and tedious journey to being a road trip when it's with good friends, Right? Because who we're with, the people we have around our lives, make a difference to the experience that we have. A relationship changes everything, even if the situation stays the same. And so get this, the the better promise is that we get Jesus in the midst of life. We get him. We get him. Which means that there's no promise that everything will be easy or perfect, or shiny, or whatever. But we get him in the midst of it all. The living and active presence of Jesus. The words of Jesus. The power of Jesus. And the issue is that that so often, we get complacent. We've heard it all before. We We just go through the motions. We've lost the wonder of knowing God. Or maybe we've never known God. We don't know how good it could be. We don't know how good we've got it. Excuse me for this, but but do you know the expression, you're punching above your weight? You know that expression? You know what that means? Some of you don't. So you're walking down the street and you see a couple walking towards you, maybe a husband and wife, and one of them is surprisingly more attractive than the other. You might say that one of them is punching above his weight as in, his wife is much more attractive than he is. It's an expression. I, maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. Some of you are looking at me like, what is he talking about? What an awful thing to say. It's, it's out there. Punching above his way. Well, I don't mean to be crude, but, but I know Jesus. And I know how good he is. And then I look at you guys. I mean... You guys are great, I'm sure. You're pretty good. But he's God. How did you pull that off? You're punching above your weight, surely. And these verses at the end of the chapter bring us that perspective. They don't say it in those words exactly. But they bring us back to it. All these things that were promised. There is a better promise. Jesus is better. My, my dad is also a preacher, and he, uh, he, he has this sort of thing that he talks about. He says, this, is, this is one of my fears, he often says, when he's doing this. He says, my fear is that, that rather than being a Christ, someone who's been a Christian for 30 years, I'm a Christian for one year 30 times. So rather than 30 years of ever-deepening passion and love and wonder and awe for Jesus... 
I'm a Christian for one year, but 30 times over. Things never really deepen. The relationship I have with God never really moves on or progresses. Does that make sense? He talks about, I want to be a 30-year Christian, not a one-year Christian 30 times over. I'm at eight years. Do I trust the promise of Jesus more now than when I started? Am I growing in faith? Do I believe today more than ever that he is sufficient, that, that whatever life throws at me, he's enough? He's enough. Whatever, he's enough. Honestly, I'll let you guys on a little, little secret, a little bit of disclosure here. This has been the hardest sermon I've ever prepared for. Not because I thought the passage was really tricky or because I couldn't think of a hilarious story to start it off. But because I felt God telling me to preach that Jesus is better. So I've spent all week repenting for the ways I know that I'm not living as if Jesus is better. Because I know I've been distracted. I know that I've been complacent. I know that I've needed to refocus. I've needed to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so I felt God saying, that's what you need to tell them. Jesus is better. And for each of us now, there's the space, the opportunity to be honest. You know, next week, we're going to look at the start of Hebrews 12, running the race with perseverance. But this week, we're going to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so I'd encourage you, encourage you in the space that we'll now have to speak to him. Speak to Jesus. He's here. He's present. Tell him the truth. You're not going to lie to God, are you? Tell him the truth. This is where I'm at. I'm going to choose what is better. And so the band are going to come back up. That's their cue to come back up. And, and why don't you, should we pray together? Why don't you stand up if you can? Shall we pray? Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you present yourself here? You might want to pray this prayer with me. Lord, I'm sorry for where I've prioritized other things. I'm sorry, Lord, for where I've, I've been distracted and for whatever reason moved away from you. Where in my pride I've been going my own way. But Jesus, I know that you're better. And I know that life with you is God's best for me. Would you place in me a deep hunger for you? Would you help me to recapture the joy of your salvation? I want to live in awe of you, in the wonder of you, captivated by you. And you promise that you'll write your law upon my heart. Would you grow my love for you, Jesus? Jesus. 
I don't want to be a 30-year Christian, one year at a time, or one year on repeat. I want it to be ever-deepening, ever-growing. Would you lead us into deeper places with you? Amen. Amen. So just now we're going we're gonna to worship again. Um, whilst we're doing that, some people are going to come and help us by serving communion. The, um, the old covenant and the new covenant stuff. So the old covenant, they would have to make sacrifices. They would sacrifice animals. They would, they would basically have to, to pay their debts, to pay the price for their, their sinful lives. But in Jesus... Once and for all, he, his blood, his sacrifice, his death on the cross, paid that debt forever. He paid it in full on our behalf. And so we come and we, we eat bread and we drink wine as a sign, as a token, to remember him. We read about it in 1 Corinthians. It says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's what we're going to do. What better way to respond to the promise of Jesus than to eat and to drink of the promise of Jesus. And so I'd invite you to, to come and to do that. The band are going to lead us in worship. Um, and whilst that's happening, on top of all that, it's like a bumper special, there'll be some people who'd love to pray as well. They'd love to pray for you. They're really good at it. And so if you want someone to pray for you as well, on your left-hand side over there, there'll be people around wearing things around their neck who are there and they're like legit to pray. And they'd love to pray for you. So you can go and do that as well. But let's choose to respond to Jesus in this time. Whatever way you think is best for you. There's freedom to do that here. So come and receive, worship, be prayed for. Let's pray for one another. We're family as well. All right? Thanks, guys.